0: If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We'll be in Matthew 7 and 8 today. I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll pray together. Before I do, let me just say, if if what you saw is something you feel like you should do, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you want to make that public, you want to make that profession known, uh, come and see me or any one of the elders, and we would love to talk to you. In fact, let me get the elders to stand. I think there's only three of us here, to, uh, four of us here today. Back in the back, there's Cole, there's Bert, there's John Dockweiler, and there's myself, I think, that, yeah, and Sam Parker, who's preaching at a different church this morning. See any one of us, and we'd be happy to talk to you about this, and we can set this up anytime. We'd love to, love to do that. So, the Word of God, Matthew 7, verse 28, says... And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. Let's pray again. Father, this is so good this morning. You're you're big in this place. The gospel is big. You have saved us by your grace. And though we have gone our our own way, we we have each kind of done our own thing, sinned, you have reached out and touched us and healed us. Thank you for being big in that baptism. Lord, be big in this place today. Be big in our hearts. May the gospel just cause our hearts to explode with joy and gratitude and faith. So we might come like the leopard did, boldly before you, kneeling before you, confessing you as Lord, knowing that you are our only hope. Help me, I pray, Father, to preach this well this morning, this text. I pray that we would be astonished at the authority of Christ and at the grace of Christ. And I pray that you would open eyes today, Father, that you would make dead people live. You'd make living people rejoice in the life that we have because of Christ. And you would strengthen our resolve to follow you in this life with everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So how, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? The Gospel of Matthew is an unapologetic apology of Jesus Christ. That is, it's a bold defense. That's one of the ways we use the word apology. It's a defense, a bold defense of Jesus and who he is and what he has accomplished, his power, his authority, his grace, his mercy. It's actually the reason I decided to preach to the gospel of Matthew. I, I wanted to put Jesus before us as a church in all of his revealed glory as it's revealed in Matthew so that the church might respond to him appropriately so that you, me and you, that we would respond to Jesus and the gospel of Matthew presents him to us. So what will you do with him? How will you respond to Jesus? How you respond means everything for your day, for your week, for your life, for your eternity, for the trials you face. Everything depends on how you respond to Christ. It's decisive for you, it's decisive for a church and for an individual. And as you know, people respond to Jesus in many different ways. Many different ways. People respond to the truth of Jesus in all kinds of different ways. Some are astonished, right? Some are astonished. Some are offended. Some follow him. Some come and kneel before him, seeking his cleansing work. And others turn away from him in scorn. Mockery. Some try to trap him. Some betray him. Some deny him, some mock him, some crucify him, others weep, some seek him, some follow him, some die for him. So you see all that in the gospel, right? And you see all that today. It's how people respond to Jesus. So what will you do? How will you respond to Jesus That's an important question. I think we ought to be asking that. C.S. Lewis, in his famous apologetic book, Mere Christianity, made the point that there are some very reasonable responses to Jesus and then some that don't make any sense at all. Listen to his famous quote from that book. Lewis says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman and so, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that, open, that option open to us. He didn't intend to. I think Lewis is spot on in that quote. Either this Jesus is crazy and we should pity him or he is evil and we should reject him or he is the Lord of heaven and earth with all authority, all authority, everywhere. And in humble astonishment, we should bow our knees and our lives before him by faith, looking to him alone as our hope. Those are our options. It's patronizing nonsense, nonsense to attempt to posture yourself on some middle ground with Jesus, some halfway place with Jesus. He hasn't left that option open to us. So what will you do with Jesus? How will you respond to him? Will you trust him with your life? This passage and really the next section of Matthew is all about Jesus' authority and the way that people respond to that authority. This is Matthew's unapologetic apology of Jesus and what Matthew was after and what I believe the Holy Spirit who inspired him is after is that you and I would be astonished at Jesus' authority and come to him and bow before him every day and in every way and seek his cleansing, the cleansing that can only come from Christ as we ponder the way that people responded to Jesus as it's recorded in this passage, let's try to relate, shall we? Let's consider how we do respond to Jesus and how we should respond to Jesus. And maybe as a response to God's word, how we will respond to Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? It's a question I want to put before us today as we walk through this. So Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount in verse 27, that was the end of that. And his words were met with astonishment, right? I mean, the crowds were astonished at Jesus' words. They had never heard anyone preach, teach like that. They were astonished. What they had heard before was their own scribes and their own teachers of the law. That's what they had. And these guys, they wouldn't teach like Jesus taught. They would teach with diffidence or with like uh, no confidence, They'd weigh in with opinions and schools of thought and interpretations. They would rely on the traditions of the father, the fathers, rather, the traditions of the fathers, like the people who had written before them and the ways that people thought and had for centuries read the Torah. Not so with Jesus. He did not teach with diffidence. He did not simply give a fallible opinion or agree with a school of thought or side with an interpretation Jesus' teaching, unlike the scribes, didn't depend on the tradition of the fathers. Jesus' teaching depended on himself. There was a uniqueness about the Sermon on the Mount, a uniqueness about the teaching of Christ. It was unique because the sermon was preached by the Son of God, who has unique authority. No, No one today, no one today can preach like that. No one. And it's not just about manner. It's not just about like how bold or how confident. No one can teach with that kind of authority. Not for real. Lots of people pretend to. They pretend to preach like this. Sometimes preachers preach and the presumption which we can only gather from the way that they're preaching is that we should believe them because it's them who is preaching. Because it's that person. We should believe them because of their insight or their wit or their cleverness. But that's not true it's not, it's not the way preachers should preach. We do not have authority like Jesus. So we should not pretend that people should believe what we say because it's us saying it. That's not the way I should preach. This is why we, as a church leadership here at Ridgeview, are committed to expositional preaching. Expositional preaching is when a preacher, understanding where true authority rests, simply holds up the word of God to you week in and week out, hoping that you would understand it, believe it, cherish it. It's the kind of preaching that is absolutely glued to the scriptures. And the reason we, are, we believe that, it's not because we think it's just a superior style of preaching. It's not that at all. It's because we believe that true authority is there and not here That's why every Sunday we try to be so glued to the text. Why I ask you to open your Bibles. I want you to. So that you see where the authority of God over your life rests. It rests in the scriptures. Jesus is different though than I am. His, he is the son of God. He came and preached with astonishing authority. His words were the word of God. He was the word. He's different. He was no scribe. Jesus is not like me. There is no, he's not, this is not a fallible human being who is sometimes wrong or is sometimes says things too strongly or who often makes mistakes or misreads things or who says things to try to impress people sometimes or who understands, whose understanding is corrupted by his own sin. That's how I am. It's not how Jesus is. This is Jesus. You know when you should be astonished? It's, it's not when I preach, for sure. It's not when I preach. Or even when, fill in the blank, your favorite preacher preaches. You should be astonished when you hear God's word. When you see God's word, when you read God's word, it ought to be astonishing to you. There's authority. There's God speaking. That's astonishing authority. So, that's the reaction of the crowds to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. They were astonished, and I think rightly so, and I hope you are too. I hope you are astonished. I hope astonishment characterizes our response to Jesus and his teaching. Not yawning. Not that I just saw somebody yawn, but I might have. <laughs> Not yawning. But astonishment. Verses 28 through 29 transition us from the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching block of Jesus, to the narrative of Christ's life. Back to the, there's more teaching coming, but this is a transition passage and chapter 8 is loaded with miracles and healings, okay? So I think Matthew wanted us to see the crowd's response, to see the authority of Jesus in his teaching, so that we would be prepared to see the authority of Christ over everything. Which, that's where we're going, right? In chapter 8, we see the authority of Jesus over sickness. We see it over the weather. We see it over the demonic. We see the power of Jesus over storms. It's amazing. It's amazing. In this sense, I think it's all about his authority. We hear the authority of Jesus and his teaching, and we see the astonishing authority throughout his ministry and his life. It culminates on the cross when he, by his authority, lays down his life. And in the resurrection, when he, by his authority, takes up his life again. It's all about the authority of Christ over us and in this universe. So verses 28 through 29, prepare us to think carefully about this leper whom Jesus heals in Matthew 8, 1 through 4. So let's do that. With, aston- with this astonishing authority of Christ in mind, let's think about this leper. So Jesus comes down from the mountain, preaching a sermon on the mountain, on the mountain, he comes down from it, the sermon's over, great crowds follow him, and then this man who is suffering from leprosy approaches Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly the nature of this disease uh, today. It, a lot of people think it's a disease that I think they call the Hansen's disease or syndrome or something like that, but it could be a broad category of a lot of skin debilitating, dreaded, contagious skin issues that they were facing that day lumped together as leprosy. A lot of doctors who have looked at the texts and looked at Leviticus have concluded that it's probably a category of diseases. But here's the thing, okay? This is what we do know about leprosy. You didn't want to get it. Like, it was a terrible thing to have. You did not want this disease. Not only was the disease itself nasty, like, it did such nasty things to the skin of people. Um... There's writings that talk about people whose uh, fingers would fall off and whose, you know, they would have gaping wounds in their face and just really a terrible disease to have. But that's not the only reason you didn't want to have it. You didn't want to have this disease because you would then be considered unclean. You, you could not freely be in society and do social things the way that you could do it before. I mean, this man's there so he's in society but you could not in the same way that you did it before be in society people would avoid you and you would be expected to avoid people kind of like when you think you have covid except worse you were expected to avoid people people didn't always have compassion for lepers there's a sense that people considered them even to be judged by God. And God had used leprosy as judgment several places in the Old Testament. So there's a stigma, a huge stigma with this leprosy. Getting leprosy, becoming a leper was a terrible, shameful, painful, hopeless, dreaded thing. It wasn't a cure either. And likely you would die of it earlier than you would have died if you didn't have it. People were ashamed. They would cry out, unclean, unclean, as you approached. They'd wear things to try to hide their skin so you wouldn't see their skin and the nastiness there. They were unclean. So picture this, okay? This man comes, this leper. Apparently everyone knew he was a leper. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that it's advanced enough that you could just see it on him. He comes and he kneels before Jesus. Jesus. kneels before Jesus. I think it's an act of reverence and respect. It's arguably an act of worship. I think it was worship. And the reason I think that is because of what the leper then says. He says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I don't think the leper was just being like respectful of Jesus, like the way you would be respectful of a head of state. He believes something special, something astonishing about Jesus. This leper believes that if Jesus simply wills to do so, he can make this man clean. It's an incredible statement of faith in Jesus. My belief after reading this all week is that the leper knelt in worship before Jesus, whom he had concluded was the Lord. His posture was one that showed faith. He believed that Jesus could heal him. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I mean, that's astonishing faith, right? He hadn't seen that done. He had not seen that done. Lepers were lepers. And this leper came before Christ and said, if you will, you can do this. Now again, likely this man was not loved. He was likely not well regarded by anyone. Likely everyone in this man's life avoided him. Many perhaps scorned him. He could not get a regular job. He could not be, like there's, Like zero temptation in his heart, probably to think that his significance comes from his status or his looks or his money, his heritage. He didn't have those things. He couldn't even go into the temple. If you're unclean, you couldn't even go to the temple. But he could go to Jesus. And look at his posture. Uh, we We did a uh, a Bible study seminar yesterday for the revived students i don 't know uh, who, who all was there for that. Raise your hand if you were there for that. We had a great great group. We studied the Bible together, went through some like tools and tips on how to study the Bible and we were done. And because I needed some more material, I said, hey, why don't we say the passage I'm preaching tomorrow? And so, no, I didn't need more material, but I did ask them to do that. And I, I, I decided that if they say something really awesome, I will make sure to say that in my sermon. And they said, look at the postures here. Look at the postures here. Look at the posture of the leper and look at the posture of Jesus. One was a posture of humility and dependence and need and faith. And the other was a posture of love and mercy. That's awesome. This man humbly and with faith postured himself before Jesus. That was the the leper's posture, humility and faith. And Jesus's posture towards this leper was mercy. That came from one of the students yesterday. I wonder how many people watching were shocked when Jesus reached out his hand and touched this leper. Do you think that when you read that? Uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> if, you had, if you have little kids and they love mac and cheese, which I think all little kids do, you, you, you know what it's like when they've like loaded themselves up with mac and cheese, and all of a sudden, a child in that state Wants to just give everybody the biggest hugs. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so you're wearing these nice clothes and this little toddler's running to you and you're like, ah, stay away from me. Ah, you know, let's just wash that up before you get all cuddly. Jesus reached out and touched this man. You don't do that. You don't touch lepers. They're unclean. You, You touch them and you become unclean. So you don't touch them. That's why they yell unclean. You don't want what they have. And so you don't want to come anywhere near them, let alone touch them. Yet, with divine mercy, Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I will be clean. I was actually reading Leviticus for my devotions this week while I was studying this passage don't think that I'm super spiritual because I'm reading Leviticus. Um, it's in my reading plan. I don't know if you've ever read Leviticus, so it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm thinking of preaching it sometime soon. Every morning, I'm uh, reading about things like leprosy and scalp diseases and discharges and moldy houses and so on. I mean, it's, it's great. I might actually be thinking about preaching this, but I'm not going to say uh, the point seems to be over and over again that what is unclean what's unclean cannot be in the presence of what's clean. They can't be together. It's picture, right? What is holy and what is unholy cannot be together. If a clean man touches an unclean man in the Clean man becomes unclean. Leviticus spells out this reality in detail and when you get done with it, you're certainly left with the impression that God is a holy God and that uncleanliness, unholiness is a big deal to God. What is unholy cannot be in the presence of what is holy. And yet also in Leviticus, we see God's grace in ways that provides for the unclean so that they can approach God through sacrifices and through offerings. Jesus alludes to that in verse 4, chapter 8 there. He says, go bring the the, the gift that Moses commanded. That's a reference to Leviticus. That's what Moses wrote. He wrote that they should bring an offering. And I think all of these things, all of Leviticus, in fact, illustrate bigger realities. One big reality, that what is unclean cannot be in the presence of what is clean. And that was the scourge of leprosy. And I I think it was, in part, a picture or an illustration of the gospel, even. Leprosy is like sin... And a sinner cannot come into God's presence. But let us not lose hope. God is a God of mercy. This man was unclean and he had no hope in himself or in this world of ever being clean. He had no hope. And there was no doubt of his uncleanliness, right? His skin showed it like It's not even inside of you. It's on you. People could see that this man was a leper. You could see the uncleanliness of his life right on him. Maybe he tried to cover it with clothes, but you could see it hopeless. Only he was not hopeless. (laughs) I love this. I love this passage. Hopeless, but he's not hopeless. He came to the Savior. He bowed before him. He confessed him as Lord. He acknowledged that Jesus has the authority to heal him. If only he wills to do so. All his hope was in Jesus. And friends, that was his only hope. He had nowhere else to go. This was it. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. His posture before Jesus was that of hope. And Jesus' posture was that of love and mercy. Jesus reaches out and touches him. The the, the clean touches the unclean. And the unclean becomes clean. Is that not a beautiful picture of the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen to this passage. It says, For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Don't you see? We're the lepers. We are the ones who were unclean. Everything we touched was unclean. I mean, isn't that obvious in our world today? Don't you see that? You see that in your past? You see that in this world? Unclean, dirty, rotten flesh, death. Maybe you try to cover up with clothes. Maybe you try to hide it, but you know it's there. You know it's there. And you can't hide it always. But Jesus, in that beautiful posture of mercy, reaches out and touches us. He takes our uncleanliness upon himself and he pays for it with the offering required. The offering that Moses, the one that Moses commanded, it simply foreshadowed another offering. The offering of Christ who would go to the cross and bear our uncleanliness to make us clean. Jesus went, stood in our place, died to satisfy the wrath of God against all uncleanliness in us. And he made us clean by his own cleanliness. Jesus made us righteous by his righteousness. You know, I stand before God, not Guiltless, like I've never sinned, but righteous because I am in Christ. Righteous because his blood covers my sin. I am forgiven. And you are too, if your hope is in Christ. A leper no more, cleansed. Is that not astonishing? He took our sin and he gives us righteousness. This is astonishing grace. We ought to be astonished at Jesus' authority to heal this man and astonished at his grace and his mercy that he would heal him. Everybody else would say, get out of the way, leper. Let the man through. Not Jesus. He says, I will be clean. And this man did not deserve it. He had not earned it. He was a leper. He had no hope. In Luke's account, we read the same story. It says that Jesus had pity on him. Jesus looked at this man who was unclean, and he showed this man astonishing grace. In my work, I often talk, both in my counseling ministry, my pastoral ministry, all of that, I often talk to people who are deeply ashamed of their past people who have dirty pasts, full of shame, people who who feel unclean, people who literally sometimes take showers to try to wash off the unclean feeling of their life. Even many who others would perhaps look at like they would look at this leper, unclean. Note this, friend, if you can relate to that. Jesus did not look at this leper and think, Yuck! Get away from me! Don't come near me! I don't want what you have! It's not not the posture of Jesus. He reached out and he touched him. God is so gracious to us. Jesus was not disgusted by this man, and he is not disgusted by you. He looks on you with pity, with mercy. God is gracious. Jesus loved him. Jesus had pity on him. Jesus touched him. Jesus healed him. I love this passage. That's what Jesus does. You might have a very shameful past. A lot of us do. What are you going to do with that shame? I I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to say that what, what is shameful isn't shameful. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think it's helpful to just say that's not a shameful thing. Likely it's very shameful. Leprosy is really leprosy. I will say that it's true of every person on the planet. We all have that shame. You're not alone. But I won't say that it's not shameful. Sin is shameful. Always. Maybe you're aware of it. Maybe you're not. Maybe a lot of you are not. But you know what you should do if you feel that shame? Follow the example of Matthew 8, 2 through 4. Come to Jesus. Take on the posture that you see here before Him. Bow before Him. Confess Him as your Lord. And believe that if He wills, He will save you. He will make you clean. That posture, you take that posture, you will find in Him a posture of grace. Everyone who comes to Jesus like that will be saved. You will be clean. This is astonishing grace. It's so encouraging to me, and it should be to you too. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you should be able to identify, better with anyone, this man's story, right? Shouldn't you be able to identify? You were the leper. I was the leper. And like this man, I have been touched by the grace of God in Christ. I can identify with him. Jesus has had pity on me. Jesus reached out, touched me, made me clean. And he did that by taking on himself my uncleanliness. All of my sin and shame was taken to the cross, nailed to it. I bear it no more. I am clean through the offering of Christ, astonishing authority by our Savior and astonishing grace demonstrated to sinners. So let me ask you again, the question I led with when I started this sermon, what will you do with Jesus? Will you yawn at him? Will you say something silly like he was a great moral teacher or maybe say all the right things? And then let your life say the silly things. You know what I mean? Like you say all the right things, but then you live as if he's irrelevant and has no bearing in your life and has no authority over you. I think that's a really silly thing to say with your life. Let your life yawn before Jesus or will you be rightly astonished by his authority? And come to him and bow before him and acknowledge him as Lord, acknowledge him as the sovereign king over all who has authority over your life, who has authority over your life. And trust in him alone and find that posture of grace from our savior, the astonishing grace of Christ. Listen to, I just closed this sermon with Isaiah 53, four through six. This is Jesus reaching out and cleansing lepers like us. The prophet says this, We have turned every one of us to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's go through this life. Let's go through this week. Let's go through tomorrow, today, joyfully astonished by the authority and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, I pray, I pray, we pray together that you would astonish us afresh with your word, with your grace, with your mercy. Lord, I I pray for any who feel the shame that I described. Lord, I, I pray today that they would come to Christ, bow before you, believing that if you will, they will be saved. Trusting you. We know your answer. And so Lord, we pray. And Lord, I pray for all of us. None of us would be proud. None of us would be arrogant. None of us would think that, that, that we are better than anyone else. But that all of us would just be astonished at your pity for us, your mercy, your grace, your love, the way you reached out and touched us and made us clean, the way you died on the cross for us, the way you bore our sin and our wrath that we deserved the way through the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, you have given us new life. Astonish us afresh with that, Father. And help us to have faith for this week in those realities. In Jesus' name, amen.